Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin. Shire of Argyle I've travelled this country But many is a mile I've travelled through Ireland And Scotland and all And the name I go under Is Bold Erin Go Bra Father all diddle I Dirdle I day One night in Old Reeky As I walked down the street A saucy big pole As I chanced for to meet He glowered in me face And he gave me some jaw Saying when can ye over From Mare and Go Bra Me father all did lie There to lie day Well I'm not a pat Though in Ireland I've been Nor am I a paddy Though Ireland I've seen but where are you, Pat, now? Well, what's that and all? For there's many's a bold hero from Erin go bra. Fall or all diddle I dare to lie day. I can tell you're a Pat by the cut of your hair. But you all turn to Scotsman as soon as you're here. You've left your own country for breaking the law. And we're seizing all stragglers from Erin go bra. Fall or all diddle I dare to lie day. Well, were I a pat and you knew it were true Or were I the devil, then what's that to you? Were it not for the stick that you hold in your claw I'd show you a game played in air and go bra Father, all did lie, dare lie day Then the lump of blackthorn that I held in me fist Around his big body I made it to twist And the blood from his napper I quickly did draw And I paid him stock and interest for air and go bra Father all did lie, dare to lie day But the people came round like a flock of wild geese Saying stop that mad bastard, he's killed the police For every friend I had I'm sure he had twa They were terrible hard times for air and go bra Father all did lie, dare to lie day But I came to a wee boat that sailed on the fourth Packed up me gear and I steered for the north Farewell to old Ricky, your polis and all And the devil go with your cries there and go bra Father all did lie, dare to lie day Come on, you young people, wherever you're from I don't give a damn to what place you belong I come from Argyle and the Highlands so bra But I ne'er took it ill being called Erin go bra Father all did lie, dare to lie day
that opening track there was Aaron Gabra, sung by the wonderful Andy Irvine. And on this week's podcast, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by that musician, singer, songwriter, and can I add legend to that there? That's Andy <laughs> Irvine. Andy, really good to talk to you. And thanks a million for joining us on the podcast. Lovely to hear from you, Karen. Now, it's, uh, it has to be strange, of course, for somebody who has spent so much of their time on the road. In fact, for somebody who never tired of the road, as he might have said himself <laughs> one time. Uh, so there were all sorts of plans. But And we'll get to that uh, before the end of this conversation. But you got um, a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Folk Awards a couple of years ago. And it could have been very different, of course, if you had stayed on a particular path that you were on from when you were a very young man, because you were an actor. I was, I was. And I was a very, very good child actor. And I, I, I don't I don't say that really with any um, conceit, because uh, every time you see a child on, on television or on the film, they're all brilliant. Uh, so, you know, I was one of, I was one of many very good child actors. But when I got to about the age of uh, 16, I think, I, I became, you know, when you, when you get to the age of 16, you're no longer a child actor. You become what they used to call a juvenile actor. And uh, most child actors do not make it into the juvenile stage. And I'm afraid I was one of them too. I did keep on until I was about 20, 21, 22. But I, I didn't have quite the... Um, lack of nerve or whatever that I'd had as a child. So I was very lucky to have, um, by that time, discovered traditional music and been able to to, uh, to to raft myself away from acting into music. And how did you discover traditional music? Well, I discovered it... Um, as a young man, I discovered it from listening to... First of all, from listening to, to Lonnie in the, the skiffle era and then discovering Woody Guthrie who was uh, been a lifetime um, person that I've admired and and uh, and then listening to programs on RTE like uh, As I Roved Out with Seamus Ennis and and uh, and gradually just gradually moving through um, skiffle Woody Guthrie old time American music into Irish music and, and onward from there. Now, with a slight little drop out there, but you, you said Lonnie Donegan, did you? I did, yeah. Okay, just I missed that there just because of a technical glitch, one of these modern oh, glitches that we have nowadays. Yes. <laughs> um, but your background then, you have an Irish mother, Scottish father, is that correct? That's right, yeah. So were yeah. they influential on you kind of being interested in music? Well, my mother must have been influential because she was, she was a, a musical comedy actress. Um, and she was, she wasn't exactly, I mean, she wasn't, uh, she didn't play the West End, but she was kind of number one touring, uh, leading lady of, um, musical comedies. And she played all over, um, all, all over, you know, in the days when there were theatres everywhere, uh, especially in England, Scotland, she played all over them and she played in Dublin and Belfast and she when she gave up the she, when she gave up um the stage when i was uh when i was born 
but she never really gave up acting she she uh if she had an audience of more than one and a half people she would be in her element and uh and and uh, everybody loved her for that so uh, any musical uh abilities i got through uh, nature would have been through her and uh she would have encouraged you then to kind of explore your music because I know we see you as a folk musician, bazooki player, mandolin player, guitarist, but you actually you, you took a serious approach, let's say, to the guitar in when in your early days. I did, I did. Um, my my sister had married a, a musician, uh, a youngish guy, obviously then, and uh, he was a friend of a young guitar player called Julian Bream. And I started learning classical guitar with Julian Bream. Uh, it, it didn't last all that long because I, I would travel across London um, to Julian's uh, flat in, in South London. And there would be a note in his window saying, sorry, Andrew, as I was then, sorry, Andrew. Um, I forgot that I had a concert in Prague. And that happened on about three occasions. I've made this this bus this two bus journey with a with a guitar across London, and eventually he said, "I think this is not going to work." He said, "And uh, I'm going to hand you on to one of my my ex pupils, who's a very good teacher." And so I studied I studied classical classical guitar um, for about four years, and then when this, the previously mentioned Lonnie Gonagan turned up. I found it quite easy to play the three chords essential for uh, playing playing skipple. So listening then to the likes of Lonnie Donegan, was this a whole new awakening for you? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I always knew that um, somewhere, some mu there was some music that I was waiting to hear. I always knew that. And many things appeared in my youth, like like um, Bill Haley, uh, if anybody remembers Bill Haley, early rock and roll, early uh, rhythm and blues. Um, all my friends were into that, and I, I thought, well, it's yeah, it's okay, but it's not quite what I'm looking for. And then when I heard Lonnie Donegan, uh, his very early music. Um, before he got a, a drummer and a guitar and a bass player, I thought, yes, I found it. And that was, that was my, my uh, entry, really. And so did you just discard then your, your classical musical playing and just decide this is where I want to explore musically? I'm afraid that's the way it went, Karen, yeah. <laughs> no mercy, Sean. No. <laughs> so you play harmonic as well, of course. Mandolin, mandola, bazooki, these sort of eight stringed instruments where did they where did they emerge from in your musical <laughs> development well being a follower of woody guthrie it was my my intention to learn all the instruments that woody played and of course he he, he was he was quite a good mandolin player he didn't he didn't uh, pursue anything he didn't, didn't really uh, strive to be a great musician woody but he also played the fiddle a bit, which I which I, I attempted when I was about uh, seventeen, and I had to give it up by the time I was seventeen and uh, 
three months or something because I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I learned that the mandolin and that moved on to the mandola, which is basically the same instrument except uh, lower, and the bazooki the same thing. And I learned the harmonica from um, from. Uh, I was big mates with with a guy called Rambling Jack Elliot back when I was about seventeen or eighteen. He lived. Uh, he was he was kind of marooned in in London for a while, and and we were we were good friends. And and he he showed me that uh, Woody Guthrie had played the harmonica upside down, uh, as had most of the southern blues players. And so I learned to play the harmonica upside down, which is uh, if people, it's it's an attention thing. Like if people uh, in the audience are really watching me, they come up and say, you played the harmonica upside down. You're playing from, from, from left to right instead of from right to left type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't play, couldn't play it the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> and did you ever play any bit of trad? Did you ever play any jigs, reels, hornpipes, any of that stuff in it? Yes, I did, yeah. I, 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 you know, as I said, I, I, I discovered Irish music through listening to um, programmes like As I Roved Out, Seamus Ennis, and that that uh, struck a big, big chord with me. And um, and I did, I learned, I, I did, I used to play. The, the main trouble with uh, playing at sessions if you're playing, if you're a mandolin player, is you can't bloody well hear it, mm -hmm. and if you can't hear it, you can't play. So uh, I gradually fell out of that and, and decided accompanying tunes was was perhaps a little bit easier. But uh, no, there's there's, um, there's a few recordings of me out there for for better or worse of of playing reels, jigs, and hornpipes. The yeah. evidence is there. The evidence is there, yeah. Now, all this development went on while you were in London. You were saying you were listening to some Irish radio and Seamus Ennis and that. When did you come across to Dublin? When I was about uh, 19 or 20. Um, I had been, I'd been on the BBC rep when I was, I think I joined that when I was 18 or 17 and, and uh, I was on it for two years. And I met a lot of people like Louis McNeese, um, Eric Ewens, a lot, a lot of Irish people who drank in the George pub there, uh, which I, I discovered and, and they were intellectually, they were way above me and they were always talking about things which I didn't really understand, but they, they enjoyed my interest. I, I, I listened with great interest, though I wasn't understanding. And, um, I think that that led me to to uh, travel to Ireland and and there I discovered a whole bunch of people who had the same exactly the same attitudes to to music and life in general as me and um, what could I do except stay? So when you say that uh, life and outlook, I suppose, and attitude, was there a plan? No, it was it was by sheer chance that I was I I was playing. Um, I had brought my my guitar. I, I played in those days. I brought my guitar to um, to what's the name of the pub? God, I can't think. Dunno's. Of it no. Um, anyway, this is nineteen sixty two, and um, 
there was a bit of a session. Some other people, some other musicians were there as well. And there was a very good night we had. And they were take, as taken with me as I was taken with them. And uh, a good friend of mine, he became Pierce McAuliffe, uh, who is a, a guitar player, singer, harmonica player. He said, well, we're going back to my, my parents' uh, flat in Black Rock. Would you like to come? And I said, yes, I would. And, and from there, uh, everything emanated. And um, that was, that, that was uh, the beginning of my, of my career. In but Ireland. you just want to develop that. How do, how do you mean everything emanated from there? From what was the what was the connection? How did Pierce sort of uh, introduce you to the the brethren, let's say, that were playing? Well, what happened was that we I I had a motor scooter at that time, and Pierce and me used to go down to Flack Hills, right. and uh, that well, you know that that in itself was an entry, and that that's where I I really discovered. Uh, the music and, and 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 the whole attitude to it and whatever that I loved at that time. What do you remember your first flare? Yes, I do. It was in uh, it was in Chewham in 1960, April 1963, I think. It was just before the the um, the infamous flare in in Mullingar in June of that year. Yes, that caused a bit of a stir, all right, in Wallingar. Yes, it did. Yes. Did you make it to that? Yes, I was there. Did you get to the banks um, of the canal there? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had a great session, I remember, with Johnny Moynihan and myself and a few others on the banks of the lake there, Loch Owl. And were you familiar with Johnny before that? Yeah, I'd met Johnny in 1962, I think. Um Johnny was a bit of a legend around Dublin in in the in the, the the company that I was keeping, and I'd heard a lot about him before I met him. And when I did meet him, uh, he lived up to it, and uh, we became great friends. And I think we both influenced each other a, a lot. He certainly was a big influence on me. And was it around that time then you decided to form Sweeney's Men? Well, that came a couple of years later. Um, Sweeney's Men started in 1966, and uh, originally it was it was Galway, Joe Dolan, and myself who were um, who were hired to play in the Enda Hotel, as it was called then. It's actually gone now, in Galway, and um, it that looked like it was going to be the perfect summer because we were staying in the in the little. cottages out the back that had been the, um, the the working cottages for the people who worked in the hotel in an earlier day. And unfortunately, Dolan, who was a little bit inclined to such things, had a big row with the owner after about two and a half weeks, and we were out on our ears. And Johnny had been, uh, Johnny was a draftsman at that time in, in Roscommon, and he used to come down for the weekends and play with us. And when, when we were kicked out, uh, he said, well, you know, we, we could still kind of play. We just, uh, we'd travel around in my car and, um, 
and and just travel around the country playing and we might get a gig or two and we did that summer of 1964 that was uh i was 22 years old and the world was my oyster it certainly was yeah. all right were there gigs around the country you said you got a few what what kind of yeah. gigs did you get um we we for instance there was the there was the Ender hotel in Galway we were booked there ridiculously having had a row and been kicked out by the owner we were booked there in the summer of 64 to play <laughs> and and people paid in to see us I mean it was early kind of uh, it was just before the the so-called ballad boom when uh, so, so many bands trios and wearing waistcoats and and uh, playing banjos and double basses turned up. And what about your repertoire? Well, we were we were a bit different to, to the people people sang we're all after Dublin and the Green and the Green and, and, and the banks of the Ohio and you know they, they, they were much motivated by by um, Peter Paul and Mary. So American coffee house music, which had become popular about that time but we johnny johnny moynihan myself had a had a kind of um a more idealistic attitude to music and we we played whatever we wanted to whether it be a scottish song or an american song or an irish song and like history would tell you that we were quite popular but it's not really true because uh, you know that old thing that used to happen at, at at session ballad sessions where as they were called then where Somebody in the audience would shout up, sing something we all know. <laughs> well, we didn't. We sang whatever. We sang the things we wanted to sing. And uh, and we lacked a certain popularity for that reason, I think. But you got paid gigs, so your reputation must have preceded you. Well, yeah, we, we made a certain uh, progress, all right. We, we were lucky enough, I think, in 1960. Yeah, 1966. To we were playing, we were we were just playing for for busking, I think, down in in uh, Kiloglan. What you call it? The Puck Fair. Yeah, Puck Fair. Yeah, and Des Kelly, who is the bass player and the leader of the Capital Show Band, and who's an old friend of Joe Dolan's, Galway Joe Dolan. Um, they were playing in Kiloglan, and of course they weren't on until a lot later. And he came into the, the pub and he heard us and he was much impressed. And, and so we suddenly had a manager. And the, the great freewheeling life that we had been living uh, suddenly became a professional musicians at that point. Yeah, Sweeney's men continued. And, well, they continued after I, I left in 1968, but they continued on a little while after that. So you were ever the rambler. Why did you, did you move on? Had you just other things to do? Well, I had. I'd, I, in 1968, was a very odd year for uh, people in Europe, young people in Europe. Suddenly, there was a desire to to travel, and and the realization that you didn't re, you didn't have to have the price of a train ticket or anything like that. All you had to have was a thumb and a little bit of native. Got bitten by that bug and. Uh, the next two years, 1968, 69, 70, I was traveling around uh, mainly in Eastern Europe, which was not the kind of center that most people went to. Most people went to further east than that because the Beatles had been there 
and the Maharishi was was there and uh, and drugs were there and I wasn't really interested in any of those things so uh, Eastern Europe was was um, an unknown spot at that time and I decided to to have a look at that and that lasted a couple of years and of course at that point I I, uh, I also discovered uh, the folk music there which made a big impression on me and um, yeah, just just traveling for the sake of it. When I say I was away for two years, that's not quite true because I came back to Dublin uh, for for Joe Dolan's wedding, and it happened to be in January. And uh, I thought, well, to head back out to Eastern Europe in January would not be kind of any sensible person would do for their health. So I hung on in Dublin then until I think till April. The next thing that really happened, and I'm not quite sure how this connects, was Christie and his uh, his album Prosperous. And from that, of course, developed the band Planksty. And that was something that one, one certainly couldn't miss. How was that connection made with Christie and to actually form the band Planksty? Well, I first met Christie, I think, at, at a, a session in... in uh, Peggy Jordan's. Do you remember Peggy Jordan? I do, yeah. She was a, a great woman who had quite a big house in Kenilworth Square. And she often would have uh, parties or sessions or whatever. And I think I met Christy there. And we used to, I don't know, I sang something and he he liked it. Well, he liked, he, he liked Sweeney's Men, Christy did. And uh, so he asked me what I what I play on his his record Prosperous with Donald and Liam and a couple of other people, and we we did that in in his uh, his sister's house, which was in Prosperous. It, the album was 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 uh, quite a big success, and it was great fun, and we enjoyed each other's company and. I was playing with Donald at the time, and um, Christy said to me, he said, uh, what would you think about forming a band? And I said, mm, well, yeah, yeah, okay. I said, well, what about Donald? And he said, oh, Donald is really into it. I said, oh, okay. I said, ah, yes, but Liam? He said, yeah, Liam's really into it too. <laughs> so uh, with some amazement, I... Um, I said yes. And you went on really and took the folk scene by storm. Were you expecting any of that? Or what why, why were you playing together? Was it for the music or were you looking for something more? It was for the music. Uh, I mean I've often told this story, but uh the very the first gig of any any kind of probably our second gig, but our first gig of, of any note was uh, on a, a tour supporting Donovan, and uh, the first gig we played was in Galway in the uh, in the old hangar, uh, which had been a um, uh, a dance hall, and it was a huge place, and there were so many microphones put up for us. I couldn't, you know, I'd never seen I'd never seen a PA that size. I'd totally overawed by the whole thing. And got on the stage started playing i was concentrating hard on getting uh, everything right when i suddenly realized there was something happening in the audience which uh 
was a bit frightening because I thought, I, you know, I'd played in dance halls before and I, I'd seen fights going on in dance halls. And I looked out and I thought, oh, well, I couldn't see anything because the lights were on us. And I thought, this sounds like a fight going on in the audience. And I looked at the other guys and they had huge smiles on their faces. And I thought, well, so not a fight, what is it? And it was, it was us going down a storm. And uh, the audience wouldn't let us off the stage at the end. And, and Des, uh, Des Kelly, our manager, had to go and ask um, Donovan if we could play an encore. I mean, he had to say yes, because they wouldn't stop clapping. And uh, I think after that was the biggest adrenaline hit I've ever had. Was it? Oh, Des, God, God bless him and uh, RIP to him. He was a lovely man. He produced, we, we went back to the dressing room, we were all laughing and, 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 and kind of uh, beside ourselves. And he up, pulled back his jacket and produced a bottle of vodka, <laughs> which I think had to be snatched off me because otherwise I would have drunk the whole lot. I, I don't know. Uh, probably had a few peaks in my life since but that that is a peak that uh was was uh, very very memorable it was fantastic uh, that's a, a great memory i must say and yeah that achievement of being on the stage with somebody else's audience so i think that's probably critical yes, to that you know that's right. yes. uh, so how long yeah. then did that uh, arrangement last with Planksy? it was only a few years in that really initially well, it didn't last that long. We we started and that was in March 1972. And Dong left in October 1973 for reasons that uh, remain um, his secret, really. And after that, the band, the band continued. Christy left in 74, Paul Brady, Johnny Moynihan. We went on, I, I left, the, or the band split in 1975. We, we played a French tour in, in November, December 1975. And, and, and we had, we'd had a meeting before that, I think, which Liam had called. And we all knew the writing was on the wall. And at the meeting in Des Kelly's office uh, in Donnybrook, um, Liam said, I want to leave the band. And we all sh shot our hands up and said, yes, I want to leave the band as well. And we all left the band at the same time because it had just, it had become, uh, uh, it had become just too much. You know, we just, we, we were always in the van and we were always headed for a gig somewhere and we had no time uh, for personal life. We had no time to, to actually learn any new stuff or, or practice it. So after that, of course, there was, there was uh, Paul and myself looked at each other and said, well, what the hell are we going to do? And, and we just, we'd struck up a good friendship in the 18 months he'd been in the band. And we decided to uh, see how it went as a, as a duo. And we, we, had a, we had a lot of success with that. And then in 1978, late in 78, the, the Bothy band was kind of more or less broken up. Um, and Christy, who, who was always really, always the man for making the decisions, said, um, now might be the time to reform the original Planksty. 
and uh, I, I jumped at the chance, I must say. It was, it was a dream come true because, and I think Liam did as well, because I'd actually talked to Liam in the interim period and said, uh, it'd be great to get the band back in. He said, yes, wouldn't it? And I, and I, and I, I was amazed. I said, oh, I said, uh, you'd be into that. He said, yeah. I said, I said, um, when did you when did you first think like that? He said, well, not that long after we broke up. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was what a couple of years later. And so we reformed the original band, uh, but not in the same fashion as we had been, you know, where, where it had been our job of work every working day. We we by this time it had changed, but we all had we all had wives and families and whatever, and uh, it was much more the period where you would have a tour rather than be on the road all the time. That was much more acceptable, and the music evolved, uh, and I must say I liked it very much at that time. And Kevin Flynn then was was he managing you at that time? Uh, he was, yes, he was, and he. he, he uh, another man of great forceful, uh, of great force. Well, you remember him, I'm sure. A force of nature, yeah. <laughs> yes, force of nature. Yes. Uh, an enthusiast, though, in fairness, a uh, fantastic man. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. He could he could speak more words in one minute than anybody ever could do. But he was he was a lovely man, and and uh, if he always considered his opinion to be to be the correct opinion, yeah. well. It very often was. Yeah. What about Patrick Street? Where did that emerge from, or how did it for you? We were talking to Kevin Burke actually a couple of weeks ago here uh, on the podcast, and he has, uh, you know, his view on how they came together for him and the enjoyment he got out of it. But how did you how did you start Patrick Street? Well, Jerry O'Byrne and myself were worked as a duo in America for a couple of years, and at the same time. Kevin and Michal O'Donnell were another couple who they actually lived there. And about uh, 1980, 1985, 1986, um, we did a tour as the four of us. Not, not playing together, like we played as two duos, but we, we were on the same bill, as I remember. And what happened after that? You came I, back to yeah, I know, oh, no, I know what happened. Jerry, Jerry decided he wanted to live in America. And Kevin and myself and Artie did it. Artie McGlynn the man. did a tour in America, I think. And, and I always remember uh, Kevin on an airplane uh, sitting next to me and saying, uh, how would you feel? How would you feel if we added somebody to this trio? And I said, um, yeah, who have you got in mind? He said, uh, well, I was thinking of Jackie Daly. I said, yeah, it sounds great. So that's that's how Patrick C started. And to everybody's horror, the, the first tour we did, it was Kevin, Jackie, Jerry and myself. We did a tour. And before the name Patrick Street had we had arrived at, uh, our agent in America, Unbidden called us the legends of Irish music. Okay. Uh, 
so we were all mortified by that. But but it was probably the probably the best the best financial tour we ever did in America. <laughs> the, once we called St. Patrick Street, we weren't quite as popular, but. Uh, um, and that went that went on for a very long time, you know. We we made it. We, I'm not sure how many albums we made, but it's, it's more than any other band that was ever in. Now you, th there was a lot. There was longevity in that band for you. You just seemed to enjoy that. Was it? Was there? Was there slightly less commitment to it, or how how was that run? Like in comparison to other groups you played with. Um, well, I think we toured America about about every every year more or less which was really enjoyable um we we, we didn't play that much in ireland uh, at that time it was it was i mean after jerry settled in america we we got arty and it went on yes it went on from what but 1988 well probably about 12 or 13 years after that and no. laterally with with uh, john carty that's I right, mean, yeah. playing with, with playing with John Carty and, Ke and Kevin Burke. I mean, that really was something. Two, two of the of the uh, the really greatest contemporary uh, North Connacht players. Uh, something else that keep you on your toes. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were wonderful. I mean, the, the music was 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 fabulous. But speaking of the music, Andy, you brought back a lot of influences from Eastern Europe when you were there. You made that initial trip. Did you go back then occasionally to Eastern Europe? After 1970, I, yes, I did. I went back there on a long sentimental journey, I called it. 1981, it was. You know, I, 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 I started including Hungary at that time. I spent a lot of time in the early 80s in, in Budapest. And uh, because... They they had a the the young people there had discovered uh, Hungarian traditional music in the city, much the same as had happened in Dublin, and um, there was a lot of 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 the same thing a lot of a lot of drinking a lot of uh, music a lot of enjoyment a lot of romance, so I was in I was uh, I was there a lot you know I drive from. I drive from Ostend to Budapest in about, God, sometimes I could do it in a whole night, a thousand miles. I drive through the night and, and be lost in my head. Uh, and, uh, and you'd come out of a, 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 a series of thoughts and you'd, you'd think, oh, I wonder where I am. Like, you know, how far have I driven? And you'd see a sign saying uh, Frankfurt or something. And you'd think, my God, how did I get here? So it was no bother to me to drive all that way. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. And, and I met, uh, was there, I met Nicola Paroff, um, who became a, a member of, of the next band, which was uh, Mosaic, uh, which was a band formed with Donald and Nicola Bruce Molsky, great old-time American fiddle player, and uh, Rens van der Zalm, who was a, a, a guy I'd met many, many years ago, uh, a great, a really great musician, playing guitar, fiddle, and mandolin, not to mention accordion and probably half a dozen other instruments, mm -hmm. but who had no desire whatsoever to push himself in any way. 
which I always said, I always said, Renz, for God's sake, if you could just get out there and, 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 you know, be seen or something or do something. Uh, I'm sure that people would love to be playing with you. You're a great musician. But he said, I, Andy, he said, I can't do that. I just can't do that. But Mosaic was, was uh, a band I, I, uh, I was thinking of because I, you know, I loved, I loved Eastern European music and I loved old time American music. And I thought, well, I happen to know Bruce Molsky, who's the best fiddle player and banjo player I've ever met uh, in that particular style of music. And uh, Nikola Parov can play almost any instrument and is absolutely brilliant in Bulgarian music and Donal and Renz and me. And uh, that was one of, the, one, of, one of the best and happiest bands I was ever in. And you still do a bit, don't you? Well, we haven't done for a while. We haven't done for about five years. We we recorded a third album uh, a while ago in in Budapest, and uh, it just came out last year. Um, for reasons I won't go into, it, it took a while to to come out. But uh, I think we're all we're all a little bit in that. You know, when Christy decided to try and reform Planksty, I think we're all, I think if we said, uh, anybody fancy starting up Mosaic again, they'd all say, yes, yes, yes. I hope they would anyway. So, yeah. And when all this is over, when this this uh, unique situation is passed, um, hopefully we'll get back together. Of course, LAPD followed and yeah. as did Usher's Island. Yes, yes. You're getting up to date now. I tell you, well, I'm just looking at all of this, uh, like all these names, all bands that have made an impression, all bands that have that people will look to and will know who they are, if you know what I mean, musically and in every other way. So there's a lot of integrity in the music in all of those bands that you played with. Yeah, that, that's true enough. I... I I never played in a band I didn't think was any good, and of course LAPD was was uh, an, was the the desire to continue the the, the Planksty mode basically. Um, Christie was 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 not at that time uh, keen on on reforming Planksty, so we reformed uh, without him with Paddy Glacken, and uh, and that lasted couple of years I think and then Usher's Island which again was was uh, a band that that uh, well I don't want to push myself but I it, the personnel I, I I kind of thought that this would be a great band like uh, Mike McGoldrick and John Doyle and uh, and it really it's a it's a I think it's brilliant but it's for some reason quite hard to uh, to get it into the national consciousness, um, but we have we we have a, a tour booked for uh, I mean next October November uh, if if this time has passed I, I'm going to be really busy uh, because that's when all all the next all, all the cancelled gigs 
and tours are all jammed into next October, November 2021. Uh, well, you will be playing at Tradfest, whether it's uh, whether it's online or whether yeah. it's live. Uh, uh, and there's another thing. I mean, yourself and Donald, you've always kept that connection because you are yeah. performing with Donald quite a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we've been going a long time together, all right. And uh, uh God be with the days. God be with the, the moment that I met Donald, because I mean, he's just, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's the perfect, the, the, the perfect kind of, uh, um, what would you say, dualist? No, the perfect uh, foil uh, that I that I ever found. And, well, um, I would say I heard that at its best. You can correct me here, but on the good chip kangaroo. Oh yeah, I thought yes. that, I thought there was magic going on there between the two of you for that song. That's right. Yeah, we well we we played we played together really well on a lot of things too. Mm. Uh, but I know what you mean. The good ship kangaroo is good. All right. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff going on mm. there. And mm. when you're working with Donald, then do you do you get together and organise material, or is it stuff that you've done in the past, or what? What way do you approach that? Well, it's it's a little bit slow in in. Um, changing i mean we, we we still do things like the blacksmith and um it's it, it moves it moves into new pastures quite slowly but it does move and um nobody you know i haven't met anybody yet who says oh god are you still playing that <laughs> are you still learning and what's more, are you still writing? Well, yeah, my, my writing has never been disciplined. You know, I, I need to, uh, I, I need, the muse visits me infrequently. Um, during this last nine month period, I haven't actually written anything. But I have, uh, what I have done is something I've been threatening to do for for many many years and that is to to make an album of woody guthrie songs i you know i i used to write to woody when he was when he was uh, in hospital in 19 what 1959 1960 61 and i've always felt an affinity for him because uh, i didn't ever meet him but i didn't know him and uh, or he knew me let's put it that way and i've been uh, threatening to to make this album for a long time and i and i've just started doing it i've just started recording um and i'm not going to say anything else about it really because it's a very early days um i'm hoping it'll be good uh, it's it seems to be going well at the moment but that's my next project. Okay, but the key, of course, is having to make the start. And once you've done that, I presume it'll take its own energy from there. See, and he, he was very special to you. You said that even in your formative years, uh, he was important to you at that time. By the way, what have you been listening to during this time of lockdown? Um, I don't. I don't listen to that much music. Um, I find it very hard to sit and listen to to music. I'm inclined to listen to to people like Miles Davis, 
people completely outside of um, any style of music that I could be accused of playing. And uh, I, I wouldn't say that listening to music is is a takes up a huge number of hours of, of my day. I have, I have other things that I have to do. And um, well, I suppose this is the right moment to plug my, my um, what I have been doing, which is uh, the second volume of my series, double CD um, series of, of old recordings I've made over the years called Old Dog Long Road. So Old Dog Long Road Volume 2 has just come out and uh, it's made up of, of mainly of solo recordings but sometimes with with uh, uh, with other people that I played with and um, that's taken a lot of a lot of time to, to put together and it's volume two and it won't be the last volume so that that's uh, I've been listening to that <laughs> so old dog long road volume two so yeah. ha- has the lockdown kind of helped helped in the production of that field yes. has it given you time to do it oh absolutely yeah I mean uh, I started doing that quite early after after um, after we started what can people expect from that, by the way? Are there are there familiar songs? Are there old traditional songs? What's in there? Well, the, the, yeah, there, there's a few um, songs which I later recorded with bands, but the solo performance is different. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that I never did record. And uh, there, for instance, there's a, there's a Planksty track that we recorded with Johnny and Paul in Germany. And um, but some of some of the stuff actually, the odd track on these albums goes all the way back to 1961, when I had a a, a tape recorder, big old fashioned tape recorder, and I used to come back from the BBC and and uh, and record a, a a couple of songs, um, all those years ago, and it, so it's a, it's a it's a big mixture like that. Certainly looking forward to hearing that old dog long road uh, volume two then it is and the end uh, very important actually if people are trying to get their hands in it where can they get it it's through website? well uh, uh, they can get it from me uh, if they look at my website uh, which is andyirvin.com um, that's that's how we do it at the moment okay <laughs> I get that yeah <laughs> So performance anyway, we're expecting to see you at Tradfest, whether it's, whether it's online or whether it's live, which uh, it's looking increasingly unlikely to be live oh, anyway yeah, uh, with no. the way things have gone. But yeah. uh, the whole idea will be that uh, your performances will be online during the Tradfest uh, yeah. time. So we really look forward to that performance from you. And uh, of course, you'll be performing with Donald and yeah. also you'll have Trina Amored on that bill. You've done that before. Yeah. Yes, we have. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that too, because I, 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 I wouldn't, you know, at this point in time, I wouldn't say I was match fit. Cause <laughs> I haven't played a gig for, what, nine months or yeah. something. But I really, uh, any chance to get back on a stage, I hear my mother talking there, but any chance to get back on a stage, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say no. 
Well, that's a lovely way to end our conversation. Uh, memory of your mother and that sentiment that she had. Uh, Andy Irvine, thanks a million for joining us at the podcast. Kieran, a great pleasure to talk to you as ever. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.